Well, I want to welcome all of you today. Today is going to be a very, very special time. This is one of those subjects that I feel like has been very difficult to address for many different reasons. And it's a, it's a subject of cancel culture. And it's a buzzword, you know, it's kind of like trauma or it's like, you know, gaslighting or virtue signaling. You know, we use these words, we hear these words, but what does it mean? And so I have an expert and he's not just an expert as it relates to, you know, ministry and so forth like that. This is an expert when it comes to conflict. And when I thought about this subject of cancel culture, the core issue underneath it is an issue with being able to confront people and be able to deal with conflict in a healthy way. And I find that most people in and out of the church struggle with conflict. And if there's a time in our society right now, this is kind of one of those watershed moments where we are not dealing well with conflict. We don't know how to deal with conflict. We don't have the skills. And more than anything, we kind of freeze up. And so what I'm really excited today is to present uh, David Young, Dr. David Young, uh, and he's going to just help us to work through uh, the underpinnings of why people decide to join uh, with what's going on with cancel culture. So Dave, David, welcome to the channel, my brother. Oh, thanks so much, Kyle. It's great to have you um, just interview me. I really appreciate the time and energy that you put into your show as well. I, I've seen your material, so thanks a lot. It's an honor. Yeah, yeah. So why don't you introduce yourself and a little bit of your backstory? Uh, my name is David Jung. Um, I, uh, I live in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Uh, that is about seven and a half hours north of uh, Minneapolis. For those who don't know where that is, it's a cold city. Uh, but we have um, we, my wife and I, Erica, we've been living here for about 23 years. We are uh, taking care of the congregation here. Um, so I have multiple roles. I, I, I work as the lead pastor here, um, and as well as I do secular work specifically around uh, workplace uh, management and conflict resolution, specifically um, mediation. Uh, but also some organizational health, because oftentimes that leads to unhealthy conflict. Uh, just a little bit about me. I've been a disciple for about 30 years. I was converted in the Toronto uh, campus ministry um, in 1991. I was uh, a very young man at the time. And so uh, somebody just reached out to me, just old-fashioned cold contact, invited to a Bible talk. I studied the Bible. They kind of dealt with some some of my broken background and uh, helped, uh, helped me to find Jesus, for sure. I was uh, looking. Um, I, I, you know, my first degree was like a philosophy degree, so I was definitely uh, looking for all the answers in all the wrong places, all the argumentation. Uh, you know, I, I got some good marks on disproving God and you know so, how uh, ironic God is uh, at that time. Uh, but uh, I, I did, I did do that, and it was, uh, it was a great time to be able to uh, become a Christian and really see the campus grow. I, I went to the, the ministry about about a year into my conversion, and they needed a campus minister. So I, they looked around for one, but they ended up finding me. And so I've been in the ministry for a while now, like about 29 years. Um, so we've been leading in various places, from churches, uh, very large churches, to our church about 100 right here. Um, we do have two sons, 24, 23 years old. Uh, they're both disciples. One is living in South Korea. The other one is living in Toronto. Uh, they just started dating recently, so that uh, oh, yeah, yeah, we're just like, oh boy, you know, in the kingdom, you know, they don't date very long, um, and, and if it works out, then we'll be spending <laughs> money at the same time. So it's like, ouch. So uh, yeah, if they're listening to this, uh, yes, uh, have mercy on your parents. Um, uh, I think some of my educational background, um, I do have a background in mental health. And my master's degree is in mental health, and as well as um, I have many. Um, uh, layers of experience with mental health and as well it slowly evolved into conflict so kind of the backstory is um, when we got here a lot of the, the challenges that we faced in Winnipeg had to do with mental health and 
um, a lot of the people here were sexually and emotionally abused. And so I started reading books. Mm. And so I started realizing, you know, this is a little more than that. So I had to go back to school and just learn a lot more about it from a, um, a point of view of helping. But uh, this is in the early 2003s when, you know, honestly, mental health wasn't a big thing in the ICOC. It was actually more of a, a, a subject we were allergic to. <laughs> so, so, but when we did it after 2003, there were a lot of things that happened and we went through some challenges. And some of my very first clients were ministers, ex-ministers that were going through post-traumatic, some mystery illnesses and just burnout and a lot of bitterness. And, and here's the thing, they didn't have money. So a lot of them were pro bono clients. And so wow. uh, to the chagrin of my clinical supervisor, like, what are you doing? And so, you know, I was like, you got to pay back for your degree. I was like, yeah, yeah. And so um, it was really great. <laughs> but over time, um, you know, in the kingdom, the word spreads. They're like, yeah, there's this guy. He does a little bit of work with ministers. And um, so it was fantastic. And so over time, it spread out a little bit more. And so uh, I had more and more people call about things. They seemingly related to counseling and, and therapy, but it wasn't. It was a lot to do with conflict. So I went back to school again, <laughs> and I picked up some conflict uh, uh, education. <clears throat> but part of uh, the, one of the places I did go to, uh, they saw some of the, the work I was doing. <clears throat> they heard a little bit about the work I was doing. And one of them decided to say, hey, you know, would you like to become a trainer for us? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And they said, what the secular company, we do workplace training to be able to deal with conflict. And I said, yeah, sure, why not talk to my board? Um, I was already a therapist on the side. And so I added this to, to the job, and I, it was really cool. I got a chance to work for a secular company. Um, so I think from the experience I had, I picked up the, the, the material, just transferable skills really easily, and I became one of the top consultants for workplace uh, at the workplace there um, at the, uh, in here in Manitoba. We kind of do work all across North America. And so um, I take some of the, 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 the wisdom and some of the experience and some of the mistakes I made and bring it into the church. And now I kind of work heavily with um, a lot of the conflicts that we do have around the world, especially around senior leaders or within regions, some of the more complex stuff. So this mishmash, you know, kind of a platypus of education of mental health conflict, uh, my philosophy background, ministry training has put me into this kind of weird Frankenstein creature of, of experience. Mm. And I think it's been really useful. Um, so I do work with the elder service team on the conflict committee, um, and I do work a across the planet on some things that are very challenging with some, some degrees to su of success, and of course there's a lot more work. I think even more exciting, there's some things that we're doing across um, the ICOC, it's called the ICOC Peacemakers Program, where mm -hmm. we train church leaders how to deal with basic conflict, and so they can sign up wow. for that program. Um, you just type it up, ICOC Peacemakers, and so people sign up for that, and it's, uh, you know, uh, a program teaching people how to deal with it and it comes with a little manual and they learn those skills and uh, quite a few people have actually taken it back to their church because my, my my job is to get myself out of a job and train trainers to go train others so people are using the powerpoints uh, they've translated this stuff into portuguese uh, they're working on um, french and spanish and i think they're even attempting some chinese i was like wow <laughs> so it's been really helpful so that that's kind of the blessing that uh, that i have uh, going forward, so is that a, is that enough about me? Do I do I need to oh, shoe size? Wow. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. I I what, what's really cool about what you've just shared is is that you know when we think about things at an organizational level, there is uh, a bit of an ish, an initiative to try and deal with conflict, and because yeah. we know you know it goes kind of from top down, and if people aren't skillful then it affects a lot of people. So I just love that there is an initiative to address conflict 
And it in and, and the fact that you are also someone who works in a secular sense, I think that kind of builds a little bit of equity and trust as well. Mm-hmm. It does. It brings experience for sure. And also it just allows me to practice with people that sometimes don't have a standard. I can't pull out a Bible on them. It's like, right. I really do have to use some skill. Like, so it's yeah. like, you know, yeah, some people I work with, I mean, their watch costs more than my house. So like what? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? I can't tell them what to do without real good reasons. So yeah, it's it's been it's been amazing to work with um, all a diverse strata of people, and so uh, yeah, it's it's been very useful in the kingdom as well, as far as I know. Uh, I mean, not everybody's super excited about having conflict management because sometimes they just rather have well, they rather like you said, they'd rather cancel the person, and, and we can't do that, of course. You know, I mean, how many people can you cancel before you paint yourself into a corner? You have no friends. It's not biblical and it's certainly not healthy for your job. And we do see that. And so unfortunately, some of the framework of the world is some of the similar framework that we use in in church. We can't. It's a different it's a different thing. But, you know, know, Corinth will affect the Corinthians, you know. And so so it's the same kind of thing. Uh, Yeah. But hopefully we can stem the tide a little bit. So so before we get into cancel culture as that topic i want to i want to actually go back to conflict yeah and i want to ask a two-part question sure why is dealing with conflict so challenging number one and number two what types of conflict exist oh wow those are really big questions i guess if you interviewed five people you're going to get five different answers i mean i can share for me and also some of the the years i've done this um I think a lot of times with conflict, you know, if I were to say, I would say two things. One, people are not taught how to deal with conflict. So, I mean, uh, in a great book I'll recommend later, you know, um, this gentleman talks about being a peace faker or a peace breaker, <laughs> you know. So, wow. like, no, it's all good. Everything's fine. And really, the conflict's brewing inside. They're just sucking it up. and But sooner or later, it just blows, right? So they're peace faking, right? right? A peace piece where there's no peace. And then there's peace breaker. You go around destroying everything, you know. So the, you scare everybody into silence. So they go to one of those places. But meanwhile, mm-hmm. God wants us, you know, Matthew wants us to be peacemakers, which is a very tricky tricky place to stay in where you know when do you know when to challenge and when do you know when to just be quiet because jesus did both right and so i think that people just don't know how right and i i don't think it's that different than than marriage i mean you know in order to get married you literally don't have any you just want to and that's it (laughs) like you know versus being a plumber uh, you got to get a ticket, you got a certification, or, you know, somebody's going to play Sea Hunt in their basement. I mean, then you're not going to let me touch your brakes if I'm, unless I'm certified. But for some strange reason, people think, um, sadly, oh, just because I, I'm a leader or I'm an elder, or I'm a boss, I know how to deal with conflict. Well, there's science to it. Like, there's predictable mm. behavior that people have when you deal with certain things, you know. Um, and, and so I think people think that it's just something you can just kind of walk into. Even though people that are successful, I think a lot of times they do have an innate ability, some of it, but they never get too much further than basic conflict unless they get some type of training, um, some type of help, and some type of, um, you know, uh, systematic way of looking at the conflict. So that's one thing. I think people are not taught how to do it. I think another side of it is really, I think especially in the world that we're living in right now, they're like people, they're just not comfortable being uncomfortable. And so conflict, as you look through the Bible, it's like, you know, one man sharpens another, right? That's conflict. You know, when sparks fly, people either run or they try to squash the other person. Like, there's really no in between. They don't Mm. sit in that uncomfortable place and say, you know, you know, I hate what you're saying, but I'm just trying to find the nugget of truth in it. 
you know, and, and the emotional resilience is very low. And so uh, mm-hmm. I find oftentimes I sit with, I do a lot of mediations, hundreds of mediations. And uh, those are the two big things. They don't know what to do. And also they're just so sensitive. If the person says something, like they don't even check what they mean and they've already lost it. I voted for so-and-so, that's it, you're out. Like, you, do you even know why they voted for that person? Like, you don't even know, right? Because right? I, I already know, like, well, then what it is is they um, they do what I call mind reading, which nobody can do, right? But they say, like, well, I know exactly what you're saying. Or, you know, the famous one. You, We've been married 30 years. You should know what I'm mad about. Uh, 30 years doesn't give you mind reading, right? <laughs> so, unless, unless I'm missing something at my 30-year mark. But, yeah, I think those two big things for me, I found that, um, you know, in the workplace, that those are money makers. You know, people that need to be taught how to do it and also say, hey, you know, when you're your best self, you do with this really awesome. But when you're triggered, your amygdala is hijacked, fight, flight, mm-hmm. freeze kicks in. And, you know, uh, but once we calm people down, a lot of times they'll say, well, well, that was easy. Well, yeah, if you can calm down, it's totally easy. And so uh, I think that's I like that for everywhere. You know, I, I liken it to like a movie theater. They build enough exits for everybody to get out if you're calm. Because if you're not, right, everybody rushes to the same exit. And, and, and the people can stay calm. Look around. There's three empty exits here. We can get out. Well, the same right. thing with conflict. And, you know, I look, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I know way more than I do. So if I'm in a fight with my wife or an altercation, like I throw out my degree, I throw out everything. Ah! <laughs> you know, then when I'm calmed down, I'm like, oh, what was that all about? It's kind of like debt. Everybody knows what debt is. Don't spend more than you have. I don't need an MBA for that. Yeah, but I don't do it because <laughs> the new thing comes out I'm like I gotta buy this you know um, yeah so I mean I think you know that Kyle it's just you know if we could keep our emotions in check um, so yeah I mean those are the money makers <laughs> usually you know for us it's like well there's probably gonna be two big problems right there um, and so types of conflict that you talked about I mean a lot of times um, I think the big thing is people sometimes mix up interpersonal conflict when they really have an intrapersonal conflict okay, so break you're that down sh- for us like, like, let's say I'm having a big fight with someone, but they remind me of my dad. Well, the person's not my dad. <laughs> I haven't worked it out with my dad. I'm never going to work it out with them. Or even, you know, you get married and, you know, one spouse is trying to work it out with another spouse. And meanwhile, they're just trying to work out some of their trauma as you're a specialist in that. And meanwhile, they're not responding to the person. They're responding to some type of reaction from before. And so how do you help them with that? They, they got to go back, right? And so a lot of times we'll see in workplaces, we're like, you know, I don't think this person has a real problem with this person. <laughs> I think there's something else going on. And oftentimes they'll need extra support that that other person cannot possibly. Because uh, sometimes the people they have issues with, they're dead. Like what? Right. What do you do then, right? And so so I think identifying some of the true true issues what's going on and so I think those interpersonal conflicts get mixed up for inter and then the interpersonal conflict gets mixed up into systems and and the whole place gets messed up sometimes you can find one individual that can really cause a lot of damage because of their intrapersonal issues and of course the most Mm -hmm. extreme of that is workplace violence lateral violence active shooters I mean those guys don't just come out of nowhere right you know I mean they, they didn't have a coffee and a bowl of Cheerios I'm going to decide I'm going to do that and there's a lot of story and so you can catch it in conflict early and when you see it then you use the right tool the right modality to deal with it and meanwhile it's not interpersonal at all it's intrapersonal and then and so those are what I find that some of the big conflicts lie um, you know but I think ultimately if you had to boil it down we all have needs and and we're need meeting creatures and when I don't have a need met I can do it right or I can do it wrong expressing that need you know, mm-hmm. if I don't do it right, I mean, it's going to come in all kinds of ways. You know, even people 
when they do the most destructive things, they think somehow it's going to meet a need of theirs. And so conflict happens when I have a need of you and, and you don't meet it. Here's the even tricky thing. If I don't know what it is, and I expect you to meet it, and I don't communicate it to you, but I still expect you to meet it, well, there you go. <laughs> like, it just, like, there's no way to meet that need, right? And so, I mean, I think that's some of the basic things. I mean, in the Bible, it's very clear. You know, there's, there's issues where people are, they need something from this person, and they don't do it right. And then they go attacking, killing, you know, uh, they're doing all kinds <clears throat> of stuff. And they don't even know what they really need. But sometimes somebody's sitting them down and say, hey, is this what you need? And they're like, yeah. And I well, you know the way you're doing it, it's not going to get it done, right? Right. And they're like, oh, but I do want to meet the need. Like I do, but I got to convince them of that and convince the other person to let them know that too. I don't know, does that kind of answer the question a little bit? It does. It does. One of the things I want to dig into just briefly is I love this intra personal conflict versus inter versus systemic. And mm -hmm. the reason why I think this is important is because this is a great lead in to setting the framework to talk about cancel culture. But cancel culture, oftentimes, it's kind of this systemic conglomerate issue. Yeah, it is. And so what ends up happening is, and I'm guilty of it, I kind of just want to put myself on the butcher block just for a moment and say, uh, in the last year, th there have been several situations um, in and out of uh, the church that I have been drawn into the orbit of system. Mm. And then what happens is, is I'm not even curious or in touch with what's unresolved in me. And so when I'm dealing with system, there's kind of this transference thing going on. Yes. And, and, and that, and I just love this idea of intra personal, which is within myself. And then we have inter, which is between another person. And then again, we have this system. And, and I think without that understanding, a lot of people might just be running in circles for a long, long time. Is, is that kind of been your experience? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, there's intergroup and intragroup as well, where there's a whole different system of things where if I'm an evangelist, right, so I part, I'm part of a group. And if somebody's mad at the system for somebody else, something they did 10 years ago, so they're mad at all leaders. Well, right. and so I'm part of the group they don't like. You know, it's not that different than blues and the reds, right? If you're a red, but individually you're fine with me but the minute I, I i walk in that you know the blue parade or the red parade next thing you know i'm, I'm an enemy and so oftentimes by the flag you wear or the t-shirt you wear or who you voted for immediately your whole being gets labeled that way and so i'm against your group period you know you know kyle's okay but but those people they're not okay well you're part of those people but it depends what you mean by your your affiliation could be very loose it doesn't really matter right so at the end of the day, I think it, within the ICOC, there are leaders that people are very upset with. And then, you know, when you do some of the work, you realize it's not the person because they can't find anything specific this person's done. It's what they represent and mm -hmm. they represent a system. And so by punishing this one person, they're thinking erroneously most times they're punishing the system. Right. Meanwhile, this poor prince is like, I, I wasn't even there. Right? He goes, yeah, well, it doesn't matter. You're part of them. What them? Who's this of them? Because, you know, everybody thinks we have a, a central organization. We really don't. There's no one person. It's not like the Pope. You can go find the Pope. Like, there is no Pope. There's no police force. And so, you know, David, you need to fix that. Like, the whole system? Like, where would I get that power? Like, what do you, what do you mean? And so they won't let it go until, um, even through explanation, they won't let it go. It's because some of the hurts are so deep. Um, and they're trying to punish or exact a pound of flesh 
from the specific brother or the specific sister. But meanwhile, they were so far removed from the original event or, or the original trauma or unresolved trauma that there's no way for them to, to fix it because they don't have the power to, they don't have memory. And of course, you know, something that happened 15 years ago, the details get foggy, but the emotions are they just know. as strong. What do you do with that, right? Mm -hmm. And so if they can't recognize that, then they just cancel me. Well, you're trying to protect a system. I'm like, yeah. And I feel for them because now they got a story and they're just looking for itching ears, you know, to, to scratch. And, and so they get a whole bunch of them. You know, it's funny, there's a, there's a passage in Acts 19 where they were having a ride <coughs> in Ephesus. And there's this really cool passage that they're running around like people are shouting one thing or another. And they said most didn't even know why they were there. So a lot of times in cancel culture, if you ask specifically, so why did you cancel the person? You know, because they're bad. But why? You know, because well, they're bad. Like, uh-huh. What do they do? Because they're racist. Well, how do you know that? Like, like and they look, you know, you, you're part of the system. You're trying to protect them. See, all of a sudden, there's no more conversation, and then I'm out, right? So I've had that happen a lot. I'm like, okay. Um, and so until they're ready, bro, I can't have that conversation with them because they're not ready to use... Um, you know, they're denying everything. Like, there's, there's just no conversation. So using logic's not going to work. And so until mm. you deal with their emotions, for sure. And that's where the mental health comes in. So, um, you know, to try to shift my own curiosity from, like, what's wrong with you to, okay, what happened to you? Like, what Absolutely. happened to you? And so I think that's the heart of a lot of the conflict. They're, they're, they're going through the wrong sphere of what's happening, trying to deal with a system issue. And meanwhile... They're doing with this interpersonal, intrapersonal thing within their own little church of 50, right? And then a lot of them, the young ministers, that's a young minister killer. They just said, I didn't sign up for this, <laughs> right? right? You know, and they get a whole traumatized church and, and the whole church is talking about that. And this poor person's like, you know, I am out. I'd rather go work for IBM, right? Because at five, you clock out, you're done. <laughs> like nobody's chasing your family now. Nobody's attacking everything you're doing. It's like, mm. yeah, I mean, if we don't deal with this, it's going to really hurt our next generation for sure. And it is already doing that. Does that help? You know, one of, yeah, yeah. One of the things that, uh, and this, this, where we're at right now is actually a really good place. I recently did a poll for my Patreon audience. And one of the big things that came out, the two biggest categories really kind of revolved around church hurts. And it's an enormous pain point for people. And, and here's the thing, like, so let me, let me talk brain just for a moment. We're dealing with the part of the brain that doesn't ask for permission. So, you know, when we get traumatized, trauma gets things to go together that shouldn't go together right. and things that should go together get broken apart. Yes. So sometimes I think what happens, and I see this with rape survivors, trauma survivors of different ilks, is what happens is, is that when people are separated from the situation years later, um, the way their brain captured it and it sort of gets stored in their body, there is no safety. In other words, the conflict continues to travel with the person. It's yeah. unresolved. And one of the one of the biggest myths is that time heals wounds. Yeah, absolutely. Or trauma. And the problem with that is that we know that trauma is different. It's a distinct type of suffering. It has incredibly durable effects. Mm -hmm. So something that happens at five can affect you when you're 55. The reason why I think this is important is because when people come to a church setting, some sort of faith setting, one of the biggest things that they're trying to do is they're trying to attach. And I think that when I became a Christian, one of the things I realize now after I've studied attachment, which is a big part of conflict and, and, and cancer culture, is I actually didn't know how to attach. Sure. You know, so I come into this setting and, you know, sometimes we love bond people or whatever it may be, you know, 
But at the end of the day, we can mistake an intensity for intimacy, right? Yeah. So for me, when I didn't understand how to attach, the projection stuff already, it just started. When I, you know, and, 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 and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because when you were talking, I'm gonna really out myself here. <laughs> when you were talking, I got triggered. Now, let me tell okay. you why. It wasn't you. <laughs> Um, it was something that I recently understood about myself. So when people, when we're talking about system and all of that, I have had that a little bit of that hair trigger around system. And I, at times have had that, you know, inner critic that has done some of that dance. Well, what I realized recently, and I'll, I'll probably share a little bit more about it at the end of the interview, but it goes back to a touchstone experience. Touchstone experience is kind of the early entry point of a trauma experience. And so I had a situation happen in high school with someone, it was an adult, it was an administrator, and it involved protecting the system. And I did that as a sophomore in high school, I was a 10th grader, I was 16 years old, and I, I, I got co-opted in, in, into becoming complicit into protecting the system. So, in the last year when I started getting triggered, um, I didn't realize that it went back to that touchstone experience. And this is a great example of what we're talking about when it comes to interpersonal <clears throat> versus inter versus system. In other words, I, I have this reactivity, right? Because my brain, I, I did get traumatized in high school. I get horribly bullied and so forth. Long story short, when I get called to become specific around what's wrong with the system or whatever, all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of this emotional scholarship sure. or I become very emotionalized or I become very competitive or whatever, but I, there's no substance because it's really primary based in an emotional experience that is unmetabolized. And that I think continues like, so when I look at this and you're the expert, but I think all the intrapersonal unresolved unmetabolized stuff feeds the inter feeds the system and then the system you know what I mean? It seems Absolutely. to be reciprocal. Is that is that your experience? It is. And I think that's why when we walk into a conversation and you hit on something really huge is, you know, I mean, that this might be something that not everyone's going to be agreement with. But I think every minister, because of the nature and the culture of our, our movement, they should be trauma informed in terms of their training. Absolutely. But if they don't and they're like, what's going on? What's going on? You're like, well, dude, you just hit a hairpin like area where it's just but you didn't realize well, what's wrong with them i wasn't part of that i know but that's all about you but what about them and so i i like i mean i use this term like i call them eyeball people like you're very sensitive mm. in certain areas and i mean even if i meet you i high five you i'm not gonna high five you in the eyeball right because that, that's stupid right you know that because it's sensitive well but how can i tell when someone's sensitive and how can i suddenly pull a jesus where I was just like, you know, Nathaniel, he didn't, he didn't fight Nathaniel back. You know, he, you know, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? He's, wow, that sounds like trauma. It sounds like somebody yeah. who has some real bad issues with somebody. And he said, you know what? He was a true Israelite. I appreciate you speaking your mind. And he was like, what? Like, what happened there? Very, mm -hmm. very informed about, there's a story behind everybody's behavior. But of course, it takes an incredible amount of self-awareness, an incredible amount of self-management, and the right tools to be able to handle that. Because if not, that single interaction, as you know, can set off the whole relationship. Yeah. And then now it's like, I can't trust this person. They're part of the system. It's like, oh, wow. And I've seen a lot of brothers and sisters roasted because they just... And once again, going back to the original point, they're not taught how to look for that. It's not hard, you know, um, especially if you're looking for it. 
Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's kind of like looking for Waldo. If you know where he is, you find, there he is, right there, right? Or, <clears throat> or, or a combo to a lock. You give him a combo, it's easy to open it. Yeah, well, I mean, you're not looking through every number, but I think a short, tiny training course for as, as part of the curriculum of trauma-informed, especially, you know, but of course, if we don't acknowledge trauma, why would we need to be informed? You're like, well, that's right. half the problem, right? You know, we moved on. Our movement's fine now. Yeah, you think? You sure? <laughs> Why don't you talk to all of us who have been talking to other people? That, and when you got 10, 15, maybe 100,000, sounds like a pattern, right? There's something unique going on. And I mean, it's not properly when I say it, but they can't deny the numbers. Well, and they're all saying the same thing, like the same exact thing. Like, you know, Douglas and his, you know, his, um, his podcast on bullying. I mean, you know, I got canceled quite a bit by a few people, but you can't deny it. Spiritual bullying, there's some stuff going on. I mean, I've heard it more than once, right? And so so if we deny that stuff happened, then we're not going to train people to deal with something that didn't happen. Right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, how does that work, right? And so as you and I do work, we know something something went wrong and it was systemic. It wasn't just one or two people, right? And so, I mean, I've been in ministry 30 years, believe me, 29 years. You know, I know that way of doing things because I couldn't remain in the ministry if I didn't know that way. And so as being a victim, but also a villain in all this, I, I know, I, right. I, I'm not saying I got it all, but I, I get it to a certain degree. How important is it for us, you know, people who are, either have a platform or a leader, understanding our reactivity, our intrapersonal issues? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's almost like if we're not careful, we can do a reenactment thing with people that we're leading and how damaging then does that become and gives the church a black eye, right? So I, I think for me, the reason why I kind of put myself out there is because, well, people can see when you're trying to put up a front, number one, but also I think I think they're, they're, we can build some equity with people if we kind of put ourselves out there and say, look, I, I'm, I'm also at times a casualty. I get caught up. I love what you said earlier about I do, I know more than I do. And you have really good one. And so, yeah, I know all this stuff about conflict. I, I'm a therapist. I help with trauma. But I had some situations this week where I got triggered like crazy. That's right, because you're human. And my impulse, my impulse was to cancel. That's what I wanted to do. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to surround myself with people who whatever, who are toxic or whatever. And and cancel is, is and I want to kind of slide into this for a moment now. This idea of cancel culture is attractive. It, it seduces people and i'm wondering in your mind and you can respond to my, my previous comment if you want but <laughs> as we transition why do you think cancel culture is so rampant right now you know once again that's a huge um it's a huge answer a huge topic for sure i mean you know people do for all kinds of different reasons because i've seen it in one way or the other where um you know getting back to the original question about how we as leaders I mean, I, the thing that I preach and teach most is curiosity. If somebody is approaching mm. you and they're just, I mean, normal is a weird word, but if they're not acting like 90% of the population would, just to something non-triggering, you know, you talk about contribution or evangelism or discipling, and they're really reacting to it. And instead of saying, well, they're just unspiritual or whatever, you know, that's what the Bible says. Right. I stay curious. <laughs> okay, whoa, whoa, whoa something's triggering you i mean it may not have been offensive but you were offended and i'm going to be curious right. okay can you tell me more what's going on and then you almost have to retranslate you know when i say discipling that doesn't necessarily mean the harsh mean things that you heard before where you were just 
you know, defrocked and your identity was smashed. I mean, like that. <laughs> and every trauma possible. Now it's spiritual trauma. I don't mean that. And, and, and to build that, I mean, can we have conversations like that with every single person? It's going to be hard for everybody. But the thing about it is, if you learn how, it's much quicker. And you yeah. identify the, quick, the, the, the issue quicker. But also, I think the more people that are dealt with, they get a chance to go kind of re-evangelize for you. No, no, you know what? It's not the same as before. When they said the word discipling, that's not what they mean. Because we want to take those words back. Evangelism is a good word. Right, but we yeah. use it as a tool in a bad way for success. So that's one thing. I think if leaders are really working on their own ability to just control their emotions just for a little bit, not for very long, but just a bit to be curious and ask what's going on, they will solve a lot of the initial that will lead to much bigger fires if you don't deal with this, right? Um, and then you get categorized into the group of people that didn't listen um, before mm -hmm. or, or didn't consider the mm -hmm. someone's everybody's sensitive right like you know they didn't consider it was i mean it's selfish at the core right it's selfish ambition when you're just running over everybody you know um i think getting back to even cancel culture i mean some of the main reasons i see people cancel culturing at times um is what you're saying it's like they they can't handle what the person said emotionally so their only tool at the time it's it's very black and white thinking it's like i'm gonna cancel that's it like I'm out. Of, I don't want you because you're triggering me. I don't want to handle this. I don't want to deal with this right now. So they click them off. They block them. And there's so many million ways to cancel. I mean, that's one way. It's it's self-protective, right? Because because I don't I don't want to deal with this. I got enough stuff in my life. You know, we live in this world where it's, where it's you know I got enough stuff coming my way. I don't need this extra person. And so I've seen people cancel family members, people they've known for mm -hmm. thirty years. It's interesting. You know, you, you take you years to build a house, but with the same hammer, you can smash it in fifteen minutes, right? It's that that's the thing about it but from a christian lens i mean you know are we not supposed to become all things to all men you know what that means is even irritating men <laughs> you know even even people that, that will try to scratch you right i mean you know the whole uh, you know friend do what you came for allowing them to kiss on the cheek it's it's a very challenging thing i think the other side of cancel culture too is that not only is there's an intrapersonal thing i don't want to deal with this anymore but also i think there's a side of it where it's a little more dark because some some of it's a little hypocritical where where you don't even know what the person is really saying without exploring and then you, one of your big complaints is they're not listening to you I, I know but hold on here they're not listening to me i'm not listening to them and so because i have a click i can cancel them now i'm not saying you don't cancel people um because they've done something heinous like a harvey weinstein or bill cosby situation okay like there's enough evidence to say this is not cancel culture but I think it brings us to the third thing. Well, if the system's not dealing with it, then people want their power back and they want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And so they cancel until they get their message across. But some people that are quote unquote, and when I say innocent, I mean, they've done something wrong with no intention, but they had big impact and they got canceled without ever a chance of redeeming themselves. That's not oh very gosh. Christian at all. Right. Right. How many times should I forgive my brother? No, nope. got canceled first try. <laughs> versus you know seven times right where you know that person's racist well you know the difference between intent and impact right you know their behavior doesn't necessarily denote what's inside now if you do it enough somebody might say oh, i think maybe you're racist here you know you do it enough but that one time depending on how critical it was is it okay to pull a jesus and say okay i can we do a redo for a second 
I think I, we do this in marriage therapy. If it gets so bad, say, can we just pause and let's try that again? I've actually had clients walk out of the room and walk back in again. Can we try having this conversation starting from scratch? And it usually works better because now they're like, okay. And so, hmm. so you, do you get second chances? Yeah, you do. And I'm wondering as disciples, before we cancel, you know, are we curious? Are we able to see that there are so many times we've been canceled, but, but we weren't? Because somebody gave us a chance to explain ourselves. Because who's their best self all the time? Right? And you're going to say right. something honestly that, that is not going to be right. And now, bro, phones are everywhere. They capture that one moment that defines everything about you. Right? Which is, that's ridiculous, right? And I mean, if you know, I, mean, I did stuff when I was a kid. Thank God there was no phones. You know, because I would have been canceled, like, you know, things like, you know, but I, I think about it, you know, it, it, is it Christian? It all depends. So I don't think you'd be cancel culture anymore to hold someone to account for some injustice because they're so powerful in the system. So the masses get the power to deal with this person. That's, I don't know if that's cancel. That's more of holding them to justice. But cancel to me oftentimes is this unjust way <clears throat> of giving this person no chance to explain, no chance to repent, no chance to to at least saying, you know, me culpa, I did it wrong. Like, is it okay that I'm human? Um, but I think sometimes the even darker side is a lot of people cancel them is because you're jealous of that person. You want to take them out. <laughs> you know, like, you know, they're rich and they're powerful. You know, yeah, let, let's <clears throat> let's hate on, you know, these people that, that uh, it was a recent... I haven't heard that take before. That's very interesting. I haven't heard that take before. Oh, yeah. Why not, right? It's jealousy. So if you see this person with all this and then they do even one thing wrong, like shut them down. They're a movie star. They got money. Their kids get in front of the light at <coughs> Disney World or whatever. You get mad and angry. But deep down, I mean, are you angry because of the unjust, unrighteous things? Or are you more like, you know, I would like that plane. I would like to get in the front of the line. Like, and so people, they'll know where they're going to admit that. But I, I've seen it when the deep heart of people get canceled. because, you know, it's revenge. It's, it's, it's vengeance through and through. And they'll wrap it in righteousness. They'll wrap it in this... You know, but at the end of the day, I mean, how many people in the Bible wrapped it in theology, wrapped it in, you know, yeah, we're just trying to do good for the people. Meanwhile, like, no, they were jealous of Jesus. I mean, they canceled Jesus. I mean, you got crucified. They That's did. the ultimate canceling, right? Um, and they ignored everything he said. They didn't even consider what he was saying. And so at the end of the day, you know, I think if you're a Christian, you will be canceled somewhere. It's easy. Yeah. So, so real quick, one of the things that I find people are not training themselves to widen their window of tolerance or their distress tolerance, your ability to handle those USA feelings, that's distress tolerance, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, I think we do not, we're not curious. I, I love where you're going with being curious. I don't think we're curious enough to be, uh, to examine the language that gets used that creates the trigger. Absolutely. So language, and I had a great conversation with some folks this week about how language can start that amygdala. When, it, when the amygdala gets hijacked, language is part of the ladder up. And so I'm wondering, let's, let's go back for a moment. Language. Give us some tools within our realm of cancel culture. We have this cancel culture. What are some ways that we can think about the how we're using words? You know, that's an interesting thing. I know that, I know when I've dealt with this, and I, it, it takes, especially if you're a person, like if you're a therapist, you have different tools because you're already disconnected in a way, uh, you know, you're not. But I mean, I know that even teaching the lay person, I don't know what word's going to trigger somebody because I don't know have fun trying to figure what word I mean there's certain words will trigger people for sure but those other words I have no idea they're neutral to me or even positive to me they're negative to the other person 
So mm-hmm. I, I like to use this concept, you know, in Stephen Covey Jr.'s book, Moving at the Speed of Trust, this idea where mm. I'm super aware, and especially if this person's had some, you know, I mean, I like to say in my conflict, if you're having the same three conversations, you're having the wrong conversation. Like something, mm. if this is the third time this is being brought up, like I'm missing something, so I must slow down and move <clears> at the speed of trust. Because if I don't move at the speed of trust, I'm going to pay trust taxes later. Okay, like mm. why are things taking so long? Like now they're, they're questioning everything I'm doing. Or if you move at the speed of trust, you pay, you get received trust dividends. Where it's like, no, bro, I just trust you, bro. Because it's almost like if someone trusts you, you can convince them of anything, anything. Absolutely. But if they don't trust you, literally, you can hand them a million dollars. They're like, what? Is it is it poison? You're like, what? Like no. <laughs> but I think the the part of it is, if I'm talking to someone and being super aware instead of just talking at them. And just seeing, okay, something's happening to them. And I, I like to use this for just lay people. Temperatures, I mean, I'll use hot, cold, and, and, and warm. If we're talking and it stays warm, I can keep talking, moving at the same speed. If it suddenly gets hot, just a little bit, I'm like, something's changed. Or if it suddenly gets cold, we're like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I've got to be able to stop for a second and just back up and be aware. Hey, you know, it seems like something shifted with us. Did I say something that didn't work for you I didn't say wrong I mean I don't know it didn't work for you and that pause that pregnant pause will tell me I did say I want to stop and so I, I like to frame it this way and I and I've heard this many years ago it's called the four F's feelings first facts follow <laughs> I'm gonna find what that feeling is and then I'll lay out some more facts because sometimes what we'll do is to try to get out of the uncomfortability I'll lay out more facts advice I'll give them more data to prove how right I am meanwhile I am missing something. That feeling blocks their ears. It blocks logic. It blocks every single thing. So it doesn't matter. You know, I was part of a, a situation once and they were like, well, well, I, I really close it off in the end. I'm like, okay, when did you trigger them? I think the conversation got cold about halfway through and I said, that's when you lost them. If you didn't pick them off back off the trail, you're driving your wagon down the trail. You, you've lost this person halfway through. And so you're going to say, well, they should have heard the last part. No, they didn't. Like when we're amygdala hijacked, the first thing you're worried about is the bear that's after you. You're not worried about all the little nuances, right? You're, I mean, it's survival, you know? I mean, you know, the, the worldly psychology is called lizard brain kicking in, right? And, and I'm like, well, I mean, it's God's way of saying, I don't want to be eaten by a bear. It's just not what. And so you're not listening to reason. I mean, you know our processing of logic is at its lowest when we're at crisis point, when our amygdala is hijacked. Because you're not worried about your taxes. You're worried about getting eaten. And so if I don't deal with the feelings first... And then I follow with facts and ideas and what I was, you know, so I can't continue with that conversation. I have to just pull off to the side and say, hey, mm. what's happened here? Something shifted. And they may not want to admit it, but, I was, but I'm going to change. Hey, listen, it sounds like something's um, really, really um, um, shifted the way we're talking here. Can we just check in? I mean, they call it immediacy. You just check in. What's, what's going on here? And if it's not hard to do in terms of the skill, but the discernment when to use it, it can only be taught by, by, by doing it. And of course, having the confidence to use it because, you know, only, mm-hmm. you know, you train, well, okay, something shifted in there. And so, well, I'm uncomfortable. I'm just going to keep rolling on with information. That never works. I mean, w- what did Gottman also say? The way a conversation starts is the way it usually ends. Right. Well, they started a certain yes. way. I don't have to follow suit. I don't. Because the gentle word can break a bone. It's very powerful. If somebody says something to you, you know, David, I think you're just like one of those leaders. What do you mean? What are you talking about? I suppose that, wow. So something I did is not working for you. Hey, can we just stop for a second? Hey, it's not important that we talk about the Bible talk statistics. 
what's happening? And I just wait. But I got to be willing to hear what they're saying to me. That's going to be uncomfortable. Well, the other day when you said this in leadership meeting, it really offended me. What do you mean it offended you? I'm just using a Bible word. Versus, okay, so what did you hear me say? Like, so I'm just dealing with their feelings. I'm not even dealing with the facts right now. So I, I, th I think when, in lay layman terms, I check the temperature. Warm, hot, cold. Like what's going on? Because you kind of know. You're like, uh-oh. You know, you, 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 you know, you upset your wives. They kind of know. They're like, yeah, uh-oh. Some, something went off road here. Like what, what happened here? And I, and, and I can't f spend the whole entire time trying to figure out what I did. It's best to ask them, okay, what did I do? could be a myriad of things or what did somebody else do that reminds it like I don't know and then I check in I got to deal with these feelings first and a lot of times more analytical people well, feelings like you know whatever just get over it yeah sure I bet you I can find something that triggers you even as analytical as you are you thank yeah, you something that triggers you you watch man that ice cream cone you lost in your kid ah! you know it's like <laughs> everybody's got one of those and so so no you can't find it you want me to try I bet you I could. And, and so at the end of the day, I think those two tools that I teach people to, that, that curiosity piece, what's happening in the temperature of the conversation? What feelings going, you know, you heard it, name it to tame it. I'm trying to name it. And over time, they'll see me as a source of, of um, reason and calmness. But what if you could teach other people around their lives to do that? Hey, when I'm getting triggered, you can see it. Can you help me to do the four Fs? And so I'm not full-time therapying them, you know, like I, I don't want to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not adult adoption. I'm bringing them to my house now. They're sitting down and talk to me. But if you can train the average person to do that, in the same way we change, pe change people to um, train people to study the Bible. When I say, hey, this guy's at L&D, you know exactly what I mean. What if I say, hey, bro, did you try four Fs? <gasps> four Fs. You know, I did not try four Fs. I just went on with a bunch of facts. See how that worked for you? Like, right. And so oftentimes the wisest and intelligent people, once their emotions get kicked in, that's it. It's over. It, it, but if we don't pick it up where they left the road, I think so. It doesn't even matter what word I use. Because any, I mean, can you imagine trying to find all the words that trigger people? We'd have to use the whole language. You know, I mean, let me actually throw a couple out. <laughs> yeah, sure. BLM. MAGA. Privilege. Sure. Fragility. Being racist. Um, you, I mean, I could go on and on. Um, uh, stop the steal. Um, you know, I, I and, and the reason why I think this is important is because in my practice, I actually started to have to bring what's going on in current affairs into the therapy room because what's happening is people are absolutely affected by politics now. And that, that's now a part of what affects people in terms of their anxiety. I had people on anxiolytics. And in, 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 is it related to the 2016 election? Sure, absolutely. Like, and it got even worse in 2020. So there are words that like, so for example, when I am talking to people, Ben Barnett has done some great research around racism. One of the things he found in his doctoral research was that when you use the word racist, typically dominant culture shuts down. It's game over. So you have one of two things, right? This is why I'm saying language sets people up for success or failure. This like it's like you set children up to lie or tell the truth. Yes. Most people think they don't, they don't even know that. But um, when I'm talking to someone, I know that there are certain words that are culturally spring loaded. So why would I use a word like racist when the research shows if I use bigot, it's kind of weird. If, if you say bigotry, people are actually or discrimination. People are, you know, more 
accommodating to that type of language than they are to the outright outright language. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think you're right. I mean, people have imputed meaning into these words are well beyond. And so they mean something more. I mean, even the word gay, many years ago, that meant right. happy. Well, now, or even when we see the rainbow, that's Noah's sign, right? No, it's not. <laughs> like, so when people take the word and they add all the cultural meaning to it. But see, but I think what you're saying is part of what we answered before was, let's say somebody says, okay, I voted for the, the MAGA group. Oh, you're done. I'm done with you. Okay, hold on. What about being curious? What do you mean by that? Like, like what specific That's thing? That's fair. That's right? fair. And they're like, well, I voted for this specific thing. You know, we want um, our borders controlled so that we don't have a lot of, you know, bad elements coming in, smuggling drugs, trafficking women. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. Is that the only reason you vote for the MAGA group? Yeah. Oh. Like, what were you thinking? Oh, I was thinking racist. I was thinking about all these other things. No, that's not what I mean. So sometimes they're choosing between the lesser of two evils. But what if I don't find out what it is, right? Because I've had that a lot. I mean, you. I mean, we didn't even mention in the coronavirus stuff. You know, I mean, that was a, that's oh, a whole thing, right? Where somebody says, well, you know, I don't trust these vaccines. And I'm like, okay. It's easy for me to say, oh, yeah, whatever way, cancel or not cancel. I suppose, oh, well, that's interesting. So it sounds like the vaccines don't work for you. Um, so... Can I know a little bit about that? Well, you know, um, well, I'm having trouble trusting the science. It's only been two years. How can they have a longitudinal study in two years? And I go, you know, I would actually agree. It is kind of sketchy in two years to come up with a vaccine. It's pretty fast. I would agree with that. But with the data that I have, I've made a decision. You know, it sounds like you did the same thing. With the data you had, you also made a decision. So can we respect that? I looked at data one way, you looked at the data another way, and I made a decision. So you're not going to convert me. But what it is, is I can have a conversation. And so you're not going to get canceled by me just because you say you're an anti-vaxxer. Because I want to know why. Yeah, I want to know what your thinking is. So, so what I'm hearing you say to some degree, and I like this, that we don't walk on eggshells, right? Because then we don't really develop intimacy. Okay. So on one hand, we do, because stumbling blocks are real. Yes, we they can, are. We can set people up with a stumbling block. But what I hear you saying that I, I that's why I said it's fair when we try to bypass the, I mean, relationship is a contact sport, right? So when <laughs> yes. I try to bypass. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> right. When I try to bypass the interaction, that is a form of conflict avoidance. Yes. In other words. Peace breaking. Like, not you're talk done. About, yeah. So the peace faking is when I, and, and I get like, so I think cultural competence versus cultural humility, right? Yes. At the end of the day, I think where you're coming from is cultural humility which is, I'm here to learn. Cultural competence is, I'm here to prove. <laughs> and so, I, what I hear you saying is, is, we need to be active learners of other people. And then we'll, you know, if, if, if we play, you know, we play nice in the sandbox, this thing can be beautiful. I think that once again, you know, how many people come into uh, workshops and they've been to thousands of workshops and they have all this knowledge that they don't use? right like i mean like, i like to use this where i mean everybody kind of knows well most people they've heard ever been you've been to a high school science lab one of the first things they teach you is to stop drop and roll because there's a good chance you might set yourself on fire with the bunsen burner right and they don't want that that's not going to happen in sewing class but in in, in the lab 100 percent, right so the the reason to do stop drop and roll is because it pushes through the amygdala that 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 simple statement because you're freaking out obviously when you're in fire 
You have to have something that's simple that you can practice right away. But there's tons of science behind it. You know, smothering the fire, reducing oxygen, you know, don't run around with locomotion, setting other things on fire, right? But it goes down to stop, drop, and roll. I mean, back in the day, Cuban Missile Crest, it was duck and cover. That was, doesn't make sense, obviously. You're not going to go duck under a desk. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. People still remember it, right? I think 4Fs, uh, feeling Source Facts Follow, Curiosity, these are the emotional stop, drop, and rolls. If I can use one of these two tools, instead of the degree that I have, I don't use in the middle of a fight in the middle of Costco, somebody called me some kind of racist name, versus like, okay, what, what are they doing? Because I do know this. When you have a limited vocabulary, or you're trying to get the maximum shock value in the short amount of time, you're going to use a word you know is going to trigger me. And also on top of that, when you only got four words to use, what four words are you going to use, right? Well, I'm going to call you racist. I'm going to call you... I mean, <laughs> they don't have a large emotionary. So everybody's mad or hungry. Like, what? You know, there's other there's other emotions other than that, right? You know, ambivalence. Like, what's that? So, I'm not going to go teach them a whole new dictionary, but I'm going to think, okay, so when you say this, there's a whole plethora of words you probably mean. So, is it up to them that is less educated or less aware than me for them to educate me? Or is it is it me, the Bible talks about the strong bear with the weak? Right, and I'm sitting there. I mean, how many times did the apostles say something completely ridiculous to Jesus? And Jesus just saw their best intention, corrected them. Now, of course, some of the guys didn't want correction. Then they got nailed, calling Satan, and got rebuked. And, of course, Matthew 23, you know, Jesus lambasted the Pharisees because they knew and they didn't want to listen. So I, I'm thinking, if I could just hold on to curiosity and just manage myself, isn't that part of the essence of Christianity, right? Where I realize that I'm a sinner and I'm going to sin and I, I want people to deal with me with grace, graciousness, right? And at the time, when I see how people don't deal with curiosity, you can see it right away in a conversation. The person just checked out, canceled them, they're done. Or they don't have any other you, they don't have any other large words to use. So the person immediately imputes meaning. You said that, so therefore you're all these things. Well, that's pretty crazy to mm -hmm. think of one thing that defines that whole person. Because we're way more complicated mm -hmm. than one item that we do. So Absolutely. oftentimes I'm not gonna address the inside of what I don't know about the person. What I can do is address the behavior. You know that thing you said was racist? Not you're a racist. There's a big difference. Because whenever somebody says you're a racist, there's no I got Mexican friends, I've got a lot of black friends, I got a lot of Asian friends. Oh, yeah. You're like, yeah, but then they do this political posturing versus, okay, no, 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 I'm not saying you're racist. What I'm saying is that thing you said about going to Africa, that can be racist. Do you deny that? No, some will deny it, even though it's on video. But what are you going to do with that? That's a mental health issue, right? That's something else, intra. Okay, versus someone says, I did say that. Well, you're going to have to clarify what you mean. You might have to backtrack now. But that's much better than saying you're a racist is because they're going to defend that racist without ever holding them. Like one, one great... Um, like a, a speaker, his name is Jay Smooth. He said, if you steal my wallet, I don't care if you're a thief. I just want my wallet back. <laughs> okay. So, so I don't care. Because I don't care. If, I, I, I'm not worried about the racist conversation. I'm going to worry about what you said, what I can prove, what I can videotape, what I can show the court. This is what happened. Right. And so at the end of the day, it holds them accountable to what they said and did. And maybe after 10 or 15 of these statements, like, you know, you're starting to swim like a fish. Look like a fish. You're saying you're a duck. Like it's, uh, you're having a hard time. I'm having a hard time believing that. And so I think I think that's one of the essences of conflict, where somebody says that brother's being disrespectful. Can you give me three examples? Well, you know, he's and that's that's why I said what I said earlier, <laughs> yes, which is right. that emotional dilemma of I felt disrespected and I can't put it into words. Which, and not to interrupt you, part of 
and this isn't a caveat that's saying, hey, this is a dis like excuse. But part of what trauma does is trauma kind of affects the part of the brain that doesn't have words. So when people are most triggered, the part of the brain, the Broca's area, that's responsible for speech and articulation, that actually decreases in neural activity <laughs> that's right. when we are reliving. That's right. And you know this from Body Keeps the Score or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. Most right. of our audience, if you haven't read it, it that so my ability to articulate, depending on how I got damaged, may be decreased. Now it that's different from someone who has become rigidly committed to one perspective. And and that rigid can some trauma intensifies that, but trauma sometimes it's not the whole story. It intensifies sometimes something that's already there that's why i tell people there's a difference between a stubborn heart and a stubborn wound yeah so a stubborn heart is i don't want to do it god's way a stubborn wound is i've tried healing this and i've tried and i've tried and i've tried and i've tried and it is a stubborn wound that's that's kind of the the sucky part about trauma <laughs> but the point i'm the point i'm making in all of this um is that there is sometimes a lack of words so that's why i like what you said about being trauma informed the more people we can help understand Hey, when there has been a real deterioration in someone's dignity, right? Someone has been felt dehumanized. Yes. Okay? What we need is we need a mechanism that engages the part of them that, I mean, because words are clumsy when we're trying to explain what's going on inside the heart. So sometimes like, you know, I may have someone draw with their left hand or, you know, I may have someone do imagery or something to get at it or give me an analogy give me a metaphor and that's why I, I love what you're saying about facts follow because we need to get the brain de-aroused before we can help people you know yeah. you have to connect before you correct and so i just i love what you're, i feel like you're you're giving people like coat hangers for a messy closet <laughs> <laughs> that's right to organize i really appreciate it, it. Yes. And, and if yeah. they, it, I think they got to be gentle themselves. I mean, this is like learning a new language, right? How to do mm. it. But if you can train the simple tools and they walk away with curiosity, walk away with understanding that, that there's so much more to this story. If I can just manage that initial reaction, they'll see how most conversations go well because sometimes they have nothing to do with you. Right. It's everything to do with that. And I mean, isn't that Christian to be able to bear with the failings of the weak and those who are hurting as I want people to bear with me. I mean, how would I want someone to do with my son if he had trauma? Would I want them to shut them down because of their own insecurity? And leaders that don't, they're not self-aware, they don't realize the relational impact that they're having. And then they go up front and they say all kinds of stuff. And next thing you know, it makes all the other leaders um, on the defensive because they don't know what to do, right? How do I defend a statement mm -hmm. I never made or I don't even believe in? But I'm part of the, oh. I got the t-shirt. What am I going to do with that, right? I, I can't. So it's my affiliation. I got the yeah, I got, you know, I, I'm, I got the leader t-shirt. I've, I've got affiliation now. Uh, I'm like, just like all them. But I think that the thing about it is to try to deal with every single trigger word or every tri triggering thing. I mean, it's like teaching all your kids every lie to watch out for. Well, no, teach them the truth. The lies will expose themselves. Right. You teach them a tool of being curious, you know, because in North America, we're a very telling culture because we're, you know, big stuff. We got all, we tell people what to do all the time. We, in our churches, we walked over to other parts of the world telling them how they need to do it. Your church needs to be led like this. Yeah, but you're in a collective culture in a completely different context. Let's lead it like an American church. Well, of course it's not going to work. It's a, it's a whole different thing, right? And so we're used to telling people what to do. Well, that changes the way we listen. You know, like if I walk in advising, telling people what to do, curiosity is the opposite of that. 
I'm, I'm finding out what it is that I've done, what it is that you need, what it's going on, and then I get to decide, right? So I have a question. I have a question yeah, about that. Of course, is basically what you're saying, and and I, and I want to go to the next question after this because your time is precious to me. Um, is what I'm hearing you saying about curiosity essentially that when you're talking with someone, that your mission is to connect their dots versus <clears throat> trying to connect your own? Yeah, it could be both. Actually, I'm trying to figure out. This is, I, I like the way you use dots. Do I have the same dots as you? And if we do have the same dots, do we configure them the same way? I mean, I use this analogy all the time. If you don't have the same dots, you're not going to get the same picture. Okay? But even <laughs> if you have the same dots and you order the dots different, because the key to those kids' drawings or adult drawings, where you connect the dots, the numbers have to be in the right order for you as me. If not, you're going to have very right. different pictures. You have a tarantula like at a Christmas tree. And you're both right. So I'm trying to figure out, do you have the same dots? And on top of that, what emphasis do you put on the dot, okay? You know? <laughs> what emphasis do you put on the dots? Because sometimes I, I hear people put emphasis on stuff I would never put emphasis on because of who I am. And then I'm talking about mm. something that sounds like what they're talking about. Meanwhile, and so oftentimes we focus on each other and actually, instead of the actual real issue we're talking about. So if I'm late, it's not me, it's my behavior. Okay, so right. let's talk about how do we deal with late, right, versus deal with you right because i'm not late for everything right you know just for that specific situation so how can we deal with this how can we communicate but if not you know you disrespect you just like your dad you always, you're like oh my and then i'm off right to the races and so we're connecting dots that don't exist dots that are different ordering them differently and then you know like i said they're money makers for us okay can you show me what dots you have show me wow they're very different dots okay <laughs> let's and a lot of um, oh is that what dots you have i didn't know that and then that aha moment makes them go Oh, we weren't talking about the same thing, but you sure got mad about it, though. <laughs> so, so that's why. Well, that that that's it's interesting. You, I like the way you think about the dots, like you know, the order of anyway. The way you broke that down, I haven't thought of that that way, and I really, I really liked, I really liked that. Um, I think so. Let's move to the the last question, which is, how do we set healthy boundaries with people, and then what scriptures? do you find to get misinterpreted re regarding healthy boundaries? And of course, I get Clown Townsend boundaries up there. I mean, boundaries of marriage, sure. boundaries, boundaries, <clears throat> boundaries. Like, but I think at the core of cancel culture is that there is an inner dilemma around boundaries. So let me, let me go psychological for just a moment. So when we think about what we call ego state work or the ability to have the same amount of pressure on the inside of a person as the outside, essentially I have enough self to be around people who are not like me because there's this urge to merge as we call it in other words when someone has little ability to differentiate themselves from the from their surroundings they typically pull away violently because they don't have enough uh, material inside to actively force against what's on the outside yeah. so that's kind of what we call this idea of being ego dystonic which is same pressure well when there's not enough pressure on the inside of a person they kind of get squashed, yeah. right? And so typically in my practice, I'm helping people to develop enough self so they can be less reactive. Because part of it is that they, they don't have the ability to be differentiated, which means their own person. Which amazingly, what God gives us when he renews us, when he rebirths us, is he gives us self. The Bible says self-control. Well, the reason why self-control is, is, is a mandate is because he's given us a new self. A self that can have its own way of doing thinking and so forth. Anyway. So partly what I see with people who do cancel culture is there's a lack of self. 
There's a lack of material in self. And so they don't have a way to create more self or bolster that sense of self. And so what happens is they dismiss themselves rather than focusing on, maybe I need to build some self. And the way to do that is through boundaries, healthy boundaries. Boundaries versus cancel, right? Boundaries don't equal cancel. And I think that's something I'm wondering from your perspective. You know, some people, I think they're thinking, if I, if I set up, if, if I cancel someone, that's setting a boundary. Actually, what I find for people is that that loneliness and that not being skilled at being able to hold the pressure inside of like who you are, that, 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 that sort of internal fortitude, that doesn't get created by canceling people out of your life. You don't get more self by getting rid of people. Now, if you get rid of the wrong people, that's a different story. But I find that most people are fixated on over-identifying uh, or identifying who wrong people are, but the process of developing self so they can go back to those communities. Because here's the beautiful thing. I'll just say this one last thing. Now, now you got me on my soapbox with this. <laughs> when you have enough self, you can operate very well in the world. And, and I don't mean self in terms of the secular, like, pop psychology, bad psychology. I mean self in terms of that, like, the thing, the thing that God gives us when he renews us. And so setting healthy boundaries is something I, I kind of just want to give you the microphone with that. I kind of just said my spill with it. But, but, but help us to understand how to do good boundaries and how to use the scriptures to do good boundaries. I, I love uh, what you said. I mean, certainly, you know, f from a therapy point of view, even the... I mean, I love what you said about self, too. It's not this idolatrous self, right? I mean, I, I go back to the scriptures, you know, there's multiple scriptures that talk about, you know, all the way from, from you know, the, the, the Old Testament definition of loving God with all your heart, with all your mind and your soul, but also loving your neighbor as yourself. The third hidden command is you've got to have a healthy self-love. Because if you don't, yes. how can you love your neighbor as yourself? Say, I hate myself, then I hate my neighbor, then it's justified. No. It's a very clear definition. I must love myself in a way where God loves me. He loves what he made. So I love myself right. the way God loves me. But here's the tricky thing where in modern psychology, you know, if, if they just focus on self, it becomes toxic. So either you have an inflated view of yourself or a deflated view of yourself. Oftentimes when your ego is easily deflated, it's because he was too inflated in the first place, right? So, <laughs> you know, I, I get that. I'm like, hey, okay. But I think that if you had to center it all from my point of view, is that I don't want to think of myself too much or think of myself too little. Because ultimately, mm. this might sound like such a simple solution. What does God think of what I should do? So versus, I'm going to cancel this person. Okay. When you say cancel, do you mean never talk to them again? Never give them a chance to repent? Like they're done? Because that doesn't right. sound Jesus-like, right? <clears throat> versus... I'm going to cancel, meaning I'm going to draw a boundary where I've heard someone, I forgot who said this, but think of that person living in a chaotic world of sin and mess. And, and I'm living in a world where I'm trying my best to be righteous. I'm inviting them over into my space. I'm not going to sit in their space. So the person called it backing up, facing forward. Instead of just turning around and walking away from them. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to love you. I'm not going to rejoice in your evil. Um, or anything bad that happens to you, which is hard because sometimes you cancel someone, you just want them to fall. You are like, ha ha, look at you, right? At the end of the day, I think that the self has to be defined by, well, what would God want me to be like? Because the Bible talks about this self dying to be like Christ, Christ in us now. And so the things that I don't want to do, 
I do and the things I do want to do I don't but what if we reverse that where things that God wants me to do I do and the things that God doesn't want me to do I don't do so I'm getting my marching orders even for myself from God so if God says love your enemy nope I got to cancel this person they did this this and this see but the thing about the Bible it's so simple but not easy love everybody yeah but sir surely God that's ridiculous you mean everybody yeah everybody so agape love is God loving our enemies too not the love that you know it's just for me I only love my brother right right and so at the end of the day I know that when we define ourselves by God's standard because here's the alternative if I don't define myself by God's standard I define myself by my standard right but that makes me look in the mirror and I'm looking at God which scares me because I'm looking at me you know what I mean like wait a minute <laughs> like can you imagine believing that I set the rules and boundaries and I'm the final answer when I look in the mirror when no one's around I really know who I am I'm weak I'm messed up I, I may not admit it but then I'm getting insecure by my own God which is me then I get to defend it cancel knock this out do this do this versus okay I really messed up here but what's God say about this well you know what you're a sinner that's what's gonna happen to you okay what if I did really great well you're still a sinner because you're not gonna stay on that mountain forever so I think as a Christian I can deal with who I am because God says so whether I'm in a mountain or in a valley versus it changing and I know that's the hardest thing to do to differentiate yourself even from my self view of self it's God's view of self look at Paul his evolution of who he thought he was and he changed you know and 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 even at one point I mean God had to give him a thorn to keep him humble and that humility had to do with a balanced view of who he is I mean he was the right. worst of sinners yet he preached like the bravest of of, of righteous you're like which is it well he's both right and so the the, the Pharisees had such fragile egos that even right they couldn't see right right and so and so they, they they were questioning where God was when God was standing in front of them and so I think that mm. as a focus of Christian theology and, and counseling it's like look you need to develop that self boundaries differentiation not get enmeshed with stuff I get it but at, at some point that's not the end of the journey the end of the journey is right. to be able to go what does God want me to be who does God like so if God's okay with me why am I freaking out about what everyone else thinks even more importantly why am I freaking out about what I'm thinking even so I may have a too high view of what other people think but oftentimes this is a little more hidden I have a much high view of what I'm thinking like why is that mm. it doesn't belong it belongs what God thinks right because sometimes even the Christian therapists get a little bit mixed up and I do and I'm like oh, wait wait what am I doing what am I building this person's self-esteem it's okay to build a self-esteem but in the end they still have to define the way they feel the way they act the, their sense of identity and worth from Jesus from Jesus right if they don't do that then they're gonna buy stuff eat stuff you know go sleep with things that should try to validate themselves right and meanwhile you're like well buddy that's a I mean so you can see it people that have everything quote-unquote they're still killing themselves like why is that it's because there's something missing in that they're, they're still not happy inside and they're not joyful so I mean that's something I mean there's a few books that say this but uh, I mean even long ago I think only in the 20th century we started realizing that the problem wasn't self-esteem the problem is the self-esteem is too high sometimes where we think too much of ourselves right and so at the end of the day I mean that's kind of like uh I mean one person's view from what I've studied about it is God's boundaries not mine and then when I make God's boundary my boundary all of a sudden it works because no matter how it works out I'm still doing God's will so it didn't work out for me it doesn't matter if it didn't work out it didn't work out for Jesus 
I mean, he held he held the boundaries. Look what happened. He got killed, right? But he still felt confident that he was doing the right thing because it was God's thing versus, you know, I was successful, but I didn't do it God's way, and I'm still insecure. Like, why is that? Be yeah. Um, at the end of the day, we need a healthy understanding of self. Um, that being said, there, when people are developing psychologically, they can miss developmental milestones with how self forms. Yes. And then they come to the church and they're looking for developmental repair. Yes. And if the church is not trauma informed or, you know, they look at mental health as only secular or, you know, we should, you know, do, you know, basically nuthetic counseling or whatever, then this idea of self gets squished. Yes. When when I look in scripture, you, you talked about love God, you know, the Shema, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. That is like maximizing self. And it's through the lens of scripture versus the lens of popular psychology yes and that's what i'm and i get i get where you're coming from but there are a lot of people who have submitted themselves to people who they trusted like you said you know if you trust someone you know that you can you can make people do some crazy stuff <laughs> they with do trust. we've well, seen it that, in history yes well the the issue then is if people feel like they have been scarred and there's quite a bit of scar tissue around um how someone taught them how self works and what self is, then I think some people feel like the only option they have is to cancel because they need a baseline, they need a reference point. And, and I think the danger, and I think where you're talking about is very true. I feel like I'm pointing a lot today, sorry guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> let, me do, let me bring it in, I'm not pointing at anyone, sorry. Um, that, that we can get into trouble, and this is what Cloud and Townsend talk about, or this really good book, When People Are Big and God Is Small. And I would recommend that book. And when we become the reference point, um, one thing I would say is your shame gets trapped. Yes. Like God is the only person who can relieve you of your shame. And the shame is about identity, right? Not living up to the image that we bear. Regardless, we need somewhere to put our shame. And, I'll t I, and I've, I'm just saying in my own life, when I have tried to be my own reference point, my shame has nowhere to go. So I think... I think we have to be careful. If you got damaged by people and you feel like your only option is to cancel, just be a little bit more curious about what the, what your other options are. Yeah, I think so. And I love that because is it okay to set a boundary so that you can kind of take a knee in the corner and get yourself worked up to go have that conversation in love? Yeah. I mean, I think so. But to cancel without any further anything at all without a chance now of course this is a little different with trauma victims of rape or whatever you may not have to be able to engage with this person again because it's too much there's too much water right. under the bridge that's different like, that's a caveat for that but for other relationships where you know they offended you but it's i mean it depends what you decide as trauma and critical can you work through it and the goal is i mean you may not be best friends going over each other have, have barbecue whatever but at least you're at a a strangers level relationship where where they're not affecting your whole spiritual life you know because I mean you know that the our, our, our three key relationships relationship with God with others and self if any of these are fractured mm -hmm. it does not make a whole being and it just messes you Absolutely. up with your whole Christian life and and I mean even when, I mean that's the essence of studying the Bible are we not we're trying to get them mended with God with others and self Right? But we focus not much on self because our limited vocabulary and training and self and so you'll see that problem with self affects the problems with others and God, mm -hmm. right? So you know this. I mean, you know, I had a really rough upbringing and my dad and I weren't close. Father's Day is challenging for me. It is. 
So mm. I better have reconciled that because if not, I'm always going to see God as this distant God that doesn't care. He only cares when I mess something up. Well, that's not healthy. Mm. That's going to shift my preaching, teaching. It's going to shift because when I'm stressed, my worst self comes out <clears throat> and that's where I'm going to go, right? My natural place. And so I hear what you're saying. And I think with people, having other people in your life who know what they're talking about and give you the space to just be a little bit crazy for a bit, just for a bit, <laughs> and then to sit you down and say, okay, are you done? Because now you're in a safe place to kind of spew a little bit. You know, I call it the psalm moments at the beginning of the psalm, like, ah, and then the end, okay, God's in control. <laughs> right, that's okay, right? As long as you don't stay in the ah moment, right? Um, yeah. So at the end of the day, I, I know that dealing with people, it has very much to do with the way you deal with yourself. And then how, mm-hmm. and like what you said is so true. You don't have a good foundation. You're not going to want to go near anything. And so your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller as people get more and more triggered and they're not in a great world they live in they're going to get more and more and the more you hang around somebody sooner or later they're going to offend you sooner or later they're going to say something right so it's not about them it's about me it's about okay can i and that's a jesus thing he didn't change um he didn't try to change them to a certain degree as the primary point you know he just responded to them hopefully his being will change them it was pretty amazing who he was um and how he held on right um so i mean Jesus, I know, it doesn't. It totally makes sense. I mean, Colossians is a great book for that, right? Where Jesus is supreme. It doesn't matter what new heresy, new weird thing comes in the way. Jesus is supreme. He really is in counseling, psychology, and trauma, and therapy. If it goes back to Jesus, right? It's not like therapy and the, oh yeah, and then there's scripture. It, it, it ties in if you, but I think our vocabulary in the ICOC needs to increase. And even the average minister, the basic minister needs to understand I recognize something here. So I see it this way. I'm not a doctor, but I can call 911. But what if you don't mm. recognize this is a 911 <clears throat> situation? Then you keep dealing with it the regular way, and then you don't know what's going on. And then they usually get kicked out of the church or something happens without realizing that, you know, God brought them there for some healing. And hopefully we have some of the tools to be able to at least start the conversation and then get them extra support, like some persons like yourself who can talk them through it, right? Some fun of the, some of the funny corners they get to talk through. So does that make sense? So it's... Yeah, speaking of that, uh, let's 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 have you kind of talk through some resources briefly here. And I've held you for long enough, so no, no, I'm I got the time for resources. you. Bro. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. What are some resources you recommend? You know, a lot of times people get overwhelmed with books. I think if you're a leader, you don't have just to be a leader. There's a really great book that was seminal. It's called The Emotional Intelligence of Jesus. Uh, it's relational, oh, wow. uh, uh, basically sources for, for for religious leaders. It's by a guy. I mean, one of the primary authors is Oswald. It's a really, really great book, and it shows a, a whole different side of of Jesus that you know. Um, it, it's it's every leader, and I think also um, emotionally healthy spirituality by Schizera, Peter Schizera. I think people have heard about that book. There's a whole series on that stuff. We don't realize, you know, we don't get emotionally healthy. I mean, that's why people need sabbaticals to be able to center that off. It doesn't just going around going around cruises and eating food and stuff. It's, that's not what it is. There's so much more to it. If they want some practice... Hey, this might be one of them. This, this yes, the Molten Healthy Church. Excellent book. Healthy Spirituality, Healthy Discipleship. He's got a whole series on it. Um, and the, I think the last set of resources I would recommend, for especially for conflict and dealing with it, is a series by Ken Sandy, K-E-N-S-A-N-D-E. And he has the whole series on The Peacemaker, peacemaking for families peacemaking for everyday conflicts like biblical principles step by step um very accessible language they're not like big books where you're like okay what you need a master's degree to read it or something it's basic language 
And honestly, you can just use it right out of the box. These are the more spiritual resources. They're all written from a spiritual point of view. Um, you know, if if uh, uh, you know if people just pick up some of those principles, they'll do well. You know, emotionally healthy, intelligent, intelligence of Jesus, the the emotionally healthy series, church discipleship, and the Ken Sandy series on conflict. <clears throat> really, really good books that I recommend to a lot of the students here. Take this. They're like, wow, this is practical, out of the box. Uh, wisdom that you can use right away that help oh man i tell you yeah totally i mean because at the end of the day uh people always love to at least my audience they love to go further for themselves um, i think one of the things that people want is they want uh, i mean there's biblical literacy and then there's the ability to become just literate as it relates to working through your stuff i love that you've helped us to take some ownership i think cancel culture is kind of a deflection of ownership and at the end of the day, we do it for different reasons. But I really appreciate how you have very skillfully. I mean, you are, man, you are a wordsmith. Oh. <laughs> and you. Uh, you are, man. You can just, uh, and it's being smart. But it, it's not about who knows the most. It's about who can explain it the best. Yes. And so I just feel like you did a really good job explaining yourself well today. Oh, well, thank, thank you. you. I appreciate that, Kyle. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you what I tell all my folks. As corny as it is, when we are discouraged... We need to know that people are with us and that God is for us. And David, I just want to say we are with you and God is for you, my brother. Amen. Well, thank you. That's very kind. And thank you for all the work that you do. I'm sure it's going to, um, you know, it's a gift that keeps on giving. And uh, people will grow and change. If Even one soul, I'm sure many more than that, are affected by some of the things that you share here. Uh, God bless your work. God, thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. If you never need me for something else, let me know. Oh, I'll call again. Okay, oh, yeah. amen. Yeah, you can always call me, man. We, yeah, we're just, just give me a call. Back, bro. Give me a holler and it'll be You're all coming good. back. Well, you, you take care. Is there anything else you need from me today? Well, I'm going to close out. Um, so if you've stayed with us through the entire video, I want to thank you. Um, it is really good to be back on YouTube. Um, also, I would say that, you know, one of the things I would encourage people to do is be very prayerful about situations in your life that you need to address. I had a conversation with someone this week and I had been stewing on it for months. Oh. And it was so amazing to have this conversation and be liberated and unburdened, right? Conflict, uh, in this, you know, taking, addressing this stuff is liberating. And it's really the only way to get free. And I hope today was helpful for you. I'll see you next time. Amen. Thank you so much. Hold on. Oh, man, that was great. Oh, that was so good.